Good evening and welcome to episode 206 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I am your proud host, Howard Kravitz. Thanks for joining us on a very special night as we're going to be talking about a very popular hot topic, especially in the last few weeks. And we're going to go deep diving. Flightline, how good was he? Where does he stand with the greats? We're going to have a fantastic conversation with an expert panel. I cannot wait to talk to you all about that tonight. Please make sure uh, you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. After you do that, of course, hit the notification bell, which will tell you when new content will arise, and also smash that thumbs-up button. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can reach us. uh, You can reach me on Twitter. You can see on the bottom of the screen there on my name tag, at H Kravitz, where we have a lot of information on Twitter. I think it's an excellent follow. And then on the scroll on the bottom of the screen, my email, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. Of course, you can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Anchor. And we also have a fantastic Power Picks tip sheet. The ROI is $2.50. It's extremely inexpensive. It's very profitable. Highly recommend you guys check that out. If you're not familiar with our Power Picks, you can see it's only $15.99 for the entire month, only $4 every Saturday, and we've been crushing it. I highly recommend you check that out. And one of the ways you can check that out is through our wonderful website, hhhracingpodcast.com. We all have a bunch of people already. We have Dean is here. Hello, Dean. Thanks for joining the show. We've got... uh, ETS2DN, thanks for joining the show. Again, we're going to have a big audience tonight, highly anticipated. Any questions you have for anyone on the panel or any thoughts that you have about Flightline and where he stands in the pantheon of horse racing legends, please make sure you comment in the live chat. If you're watching this on Twitter right now, highly recommend you go over to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, go to the search bar, type in HHH racing podcast and that will allow you to put in comments into our chat all right we have a fantastic uh group of guests waiting behind the scenes let's bring them on right now first i'd like to welcome my wonderful co-host from the saratoga special paul halloran and from the east coast maryland pete visco guys how you doing tonight what's happening howard hey paul good evening Guys, this is very hotly debated. I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, there was an article that came out that I sent you guys today that I think we're going to discuss a little bit. The the variance between where Flightline sits, Pete, um, is pretty wide. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that, but I think if you really deep dive and do your research, I think there are some pretty definitive um, opinions that you can have. Yeah, I think, and, and we'll get to it, so we don't want to jump the gun on our opinions, but I, I do think, yeah, I mean, there's ways to look at it. There's different ways to look at it, and I think your answer can change depending on that, but again, I don't want to jump the gun, so we'll we'll wait till we get into it with the rest of the panel. Absolutely. I promise everyone listening at home that the three of us on this screen and our two great guests we're about to bring on, at the end of the show, gentlemen, we are going to give everyone your opinion on where flight lines stand, so we're literally going to wait until towards the end of the show at about uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. Now, at 9 p.m. Eastern, the show is not over. We are then going to bring on Jim Miller from Hawthorne. There's a great pick four tomorrow that we need to talk about with a $25,000 guarantee. So, again, if you're watching live, do not leave 
uh, when we're done with our flight line conversation, Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse will be coming on uh, to talk about the great pick four at Hawthorne tomorrow, Friday. All right, guys, let's bring on our special guests. Two gentlemen I'm very excited to have on. These are expert journalists with years and years of experience that can help not only the three of us on the screen, but viewers at home sift through all the statistics and help us determine where Flightline fits into horse racing greatness. So first, I'd like to bring on recently retired, fantastic, award-winning journalist from the Daily Racing Forum. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. The one and only Mr. Jay Privman. Jay, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Welcome to my dungeon. Uh, I'm very jealous <laughs> that you guys have such good illumination compared to... I'm going to have to step up my game here now that I'm, uh, I'm doing things at night here. You, oh, look, you look mysterious, Jay. It's it works right, for yeah. you. Yeah, I like it. I like it. You've got like the shadowy figure in the background there, but it's Jay, so we don't have to worry about it. Uh, and also, let's bring on uh, the managing editor for the Saratoga special. Of course, Paul Hallery knows him very well. It is a true honor to have Mr. Tom Law. Tom, how you doing this evening? Up, uh, Tom. We, you're muted, Tom. We can't hear you. Um, Tom will get Tom will get that fixed in a second. Nope. All right. <laughs> Tom, we still can't hear you, by the way. So, Tom, I'll let you go ahead and see if you can fix that. Tom, I'm just going to take you off the screen real quick and see if you can figure out your sound situation. So we'll get we'll get back to uh, uh, Tom, guys. Jay, we're, what we're going to do here tonight? Well, actually, Jay, before we get into uh, Tom coming on in Flyline, tell us what you've been doing uh, now that you are retired and can wake up and say, hmm, what should I do today? Well, I went to my first Breeders' Cup as a fan after attending every – one, uh, but one from 1984 on uh, till through last year as a journalist. And that was really a lot of fun. It was really fun to watch the classic and then turn around and leave and not have to write a story yeah. or go interview anybody. It was really, it was fun. Uh, I've been going to some hockey games. I'm a big uh, LA Kings hockey fan. Went to a couple of Padres playoff games. Uh, my wife and I have some travel scheduled to come up. So just kind of enjoying, uh, enjoying retirement. It's nice not to have a deadline. It's nice to just right? just that just that Paul is obviously a journalist. I was actually a journalism major, Jay. Although I'm a high school math teacher, my story is long and confusing. I won't get into it. But anyway, I, I big props for all the journalists out there. Uh, you got you and you and Paul are sort of doing what I could have been doing for my livelihood, but I chose to go a different route. Tom, we're gonna Tom. If you can hear me, we're gonna try to bring you back on. Uh, let's bring back Tom back on and see. Uh, Tom, can you hear us? I can hear you guys. Can you all hear Oh, me? there we go. Yeah, We've got some, Tom. You're back. All right. Tom, how are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm very tech savvy, uh, <laughs> as my guess. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. So I'm back. No problem. I'm here. Yeah. Tom, for people that are not familiar with you and your writings, just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then we'll get on to Flightline. Yeah, sure. Well, like you said, I'm the managing editor at the uh, Saratoga Special in addition to uh, our company, ST Publishing, which is Joe and Sean Clancy. Uh, we also provide all the editorial for uh, Mid-Atlantic Thoroughbred Magazine and uh, also the uh, Horseman's Journal, which is the quarterly publication for the National HBPA. Uh, we have our own uh, website, thisishorseracing.com. Uh, and uh, prior to doing that, I started with those guys back in 2013. I was the uh, managing editor, staff writer, news editor, uh, other positions at Thoroughbred Times from uh, 98 to, till, uh, till it went bankrupt in 2012. <laughs> uh, good times, uh, thinking back to that, but, uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, I'm right here in, uh, Saratoga Springs, New York, where, uh, 
We've had uh, snow since I got back from Kentucky every day uh, since Tuesday. Um, but we had snow when I was in Kentucky for the Claiming Crown last weekend, too. So um, it's uh, it's winter up here in uh, upstate yeah. New York. Yeah. What, what a week it different makes. Jay, if we were in Keelan a week later, we might have had some snow flurries <laughs> for the Breeders' Cup. As it turned out, it was 74 and, and, and beautiful, although pretty windy. Uh, Keelan definitely got lucky, Jay, didn't they? Yeah, very much so. I mean, they had good weather there actually two years ago too, when the yeah. crowd was restricted. I know they said there were no, there were not supposed to be fans, but I, I think a few snuck in. They uh, but you know, the first time they had it in 2015, it was pretty raw. Uh, and as you guys know, I mean, you can get anything uh, in early November there. No, for sure. Um, guys, let's jump in now. For everyone at home, here's the plan. And again, we'd love to hear your comments. We're going to first uh, talk about our criteria for determining the best horses of all time. And to say our is a little bit unfair to everyone on the screen because I sort of made an executive decision. But I think it's it's pretty standard. I think most people would agree. We'll talk about flight line. We'll show his PPs, maybe a few replays. And then we're going to go in reverse chronological order through some of the better horses in the last, we're going to say about 75 years. We're going to go about to the World War II era. We're not going to go, you know, talk about Man of War and, uh, Paul, you were there in what Sea Biscuit, right? You were there, Paul, when Sea Biscuit faced the well, War Admiral. I think I think you had War Admiral that day, Paul, in the double. I, I, Is that right? I wasn't there, but I'll have you know that Sea Biscuit was discovered at Suffolk Downs, despite the fact that that was written out of the movie. It is in the book, so I potentially could have been there for that. Uh, so I mean, we could, you know, we're not going to talk about European horses, everyone. We could talk about, you know, Najinsky and Frankel, and I mean, this could be a three-hour conversation. But we're going to limit it to basically World War II era and forward, and North American horses only. So, guys, let me go ahead and bring up the criteria for uh, tonight. Whoop, that's not what I want to do. We need to do this, and then we need to share the screen here. Okay, here we go, guys. So. Here in general, and let me take that off the screen. Here's the criteria that I sort of decided would be pretty fair. And this is in no particular order, as you can see at the top. Uh, which horses had the best um, speed figures? Now, there's a caveat that we'll talk about in a minute for that. Basically, how fast could they run by the clock? Track records, etc. Their accomplishments, grade ones, eclipse awards, triple crowns, etc. And again, there's a caveat there as well, which we'll talk about. The competition, which I know is very debatable, but who do these best horses face, uh, you know, on a consistent basis? And then longevity, durability, versatility. How long were they around? How long were they at their very best? Could they go short, long, even different services? So that is the criteria. Jay, I'm going to put all of us on screen here for a second. Um, very honestly, Jay, of those criteria, do you think that's pretty fair? Would there be something that you might add to determine uh, some of the better horses of all time. Yeah, I think the the one thing that is context, and it's, as you know, horses of this era don't run as often as horses of the past era. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Flightline is suffering from, but any horse really from this era suffers from that. And to me, it's kind of analogous to, you know, trying to compare football players who played both offense and defense you know, back in the NFL in the 1930s with specialists of today uh, or, you know, a more uh, recent thing with baseball, trying to compare, let's say, Justin Verlander to Nolan Ryan. You have to look at the, I think, the era in which athletes compete. And that's the only thing I would add to the criteria. And I think it's, it's the context of it is important. 
Now, Tom, just to let everyone know, I know everyone on the panel probably knows this, but for people at home, uh, we're going to be looking at some past performances, especially from some of the recent horses all the way. I have some old past performances. Some of the past performances, Tom will have buyer speed figures, which is um, one of the standard speed figures. But buyer didn't start until 1992, to let everyone know. And the graded stakes, the National Jockey Club didn't create graded stakes, Tom, until 1974. So when we look at a spreadsheet in a minute, Tom, similar to what Jay is saying, you do have to be careful because we don't know how many graded stakes some of the older horses have won or what their buyers are because they simply weren't around. Right. Yeah, totally. And I, I, you know, I think when you look at horses from the old days, you kind of know which uh, races were grade ones, you know, like the Vosberg and, and the Jockey Club Gold Cup and, and the Woodward back in the day, you know, those were grade ones when Secretariat was running in them and, uh, you know, before the graded stakes kind of came out, um, you know, Kelso, uh, going back citation, you know, like the Kentucky Derby was grade one, right? So it, it, just like today, I almost look at some of the races today and you think, you know, that really was a kind of a weak grade one or that was a good grade one or a, a really good grade two. Um, and you, you kind of can weigh that into your factors. And to kind of dovetail on, on Jay's point, um, he talked about the era and kind of like looking at circumstances. You know, I almost look at it now when you're judging horses, you almost have to look at the, pre-Breeders' Cup era and now the kind of the during Breeders' Cup era because the fact of the matter is back in the old days, pre-Breeders' Cup, not that old, 19, pre-1984, 83, in the 70s, you know, fall racing was so much more important than it is now. Uh, horses would run several times in the fall and the races in the fall were hugely important um, towards determining the championships. Whereas you look now, horses might run once between July and the Breeders' Cup, um, you know, and, and, you know, really the Breeders' Cup's had a huge effect on, on racing in, in a lot of positive ways, but some people would say maybe in some negative ways as well, what it's done to, to, to racing programs, you know, throughout the country that used to put on some amazing fall racing. So anyway, that's my, uh, uh Pete, you put a spreadsheet together, and, and what you're talking about is it's difficult. I mean, you can you can guess as to what would be grade ones. When you create that spreadsheet we're going to show here in a minute, uh, were you thinking that to yourself, like, okay, this wasn't designated as a grade one, but you could put, for example, uh, I'll, you know, pick a horse forego, for example, from 1978. Uh, actually, sorry, that is in there. Uh, let me go further back. Uh, like, um, you know, like a Northern Dancer or a Kelso. I mean, probably would have had X amount of grade ones, and obviously – it's, it's going to say not applicable on our spreadsheet, but uh, clearly Kelsa would have had a bunch of great ones. Yeah. And it was, it was, I didn't want to sort of make assumptions and I didn't have enough no, no. time to go through each race, but it is, it's difficult in that respect. I also wonder too, sort of to, to Tom's point, maybe a little bit where, and, and even Jay, where the horses run so infrequently. Now you could spot a horse more obviously to where you think it has a good chance and you can have it under sort of optimal circumstances. Whereas back then you just had more opportunities to lose, even if you were a great horse, cause you were running yeah. so frequently, you might, you have a better chance for an off day. <laughs> That's what makes some of these older records will look at amazing where now it's like, Hey, I can run every two months. So I'm going to probably have my horse in the best condition to run. And I'm going to spot him in a race, spot him or her in a race that that's best for that, you know, for that race, for their condition at that point. No, and, and Paul, it wasn't that long ago where a, 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 a 30 days between a race would be considered a big layoff. 
<laughs> yeah, right. It was funny. I was listening to, uh, I think it was Steve Vick's show today or a podcast or whatever, and someone was talking about, you know, harness horses. Actually, it was the uh, FanDuel TV today, the simulcast, which I listened to in the car, which tells you a lot about me. Uh, but they were talking about, you know, how to get your money back on a, if you claim a horse. And, you know, with harness horses, they figure it out based on, well, they're going to run four times in the next month. So you have four purses because they run every week, basically. And we're at the point where, you know, I don't think for the better, frankly, uh, you know, so it's not Flightline's fault. He ran, only ran six times, but you know, I don't think that's great for any of us that horses are running this infrequently. But that that's the that's the uh, the atmosphere we're in right now. Hey, Howard, real quick, I don't know if we'll get into it in some of the PPs you show, the older ones. One thing we don't get now, which was cool as you look through old PPs, is like a champion from last year or even two years ago, the course of the year would be running against the next year's horse of the year and then maybe the next year's three-year-old of the year, and they'd all be in the same race, whereas now they retire so quickly. You just don't get those like, oh, my – I watched today. The only replay I watched old, and we'll get to it, was affirmed and um, – spectacular bid just because i didn't remember obviously i wasn't paying attention enough back then but i don't remember it and i was like that would never happen now about those horses at that quality sort of meeting up because as soon as your horse of the year you're mostly gone nowadays well in flyline of course there's 184 reasons why uh yo sure the money anymore. yeah the money makes a little bit more sense now we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> all right guys let's show the spreadsheet that we're going to sort of base a lot off of and for all of you listening out there uh, if you'd like a copy of the spreadsheet, uh, Pete, if you don't mind, you're the one that created it, so you have the rights to it. But, uh, Pete, if, if you allow for it, I, I'll, I'll be happy to send people this spreadsheet. If people are interested in it, uh, just send me an email, folks, and we'll do that. So let's yeah, or we can even post it up. We can post it on our website, too, if, we, if people yeah, want we to access actually, it that way. Yeah, that's probably the best idea. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is a spreadsheet. It's slightly edited from what Pete sent me. But these are uh, some of the best horses of all time, and I'm not going to show the entire spreadsheet right now, but – this is, you can see in chronological order. So uh, their final year, of course, you have Flood there on the top. And you can see many other fantastic horses here as you go down the list. Uh, and, and we're going to go, again, we're going to stop our conversation somewhere around Kelso in the, in the 60s. Or we can even go down to Citation. You know, Man of War, War Admiral were obviously unbelievable, Count Fleet. But now you're talking about 100 years ago, and i just rather not focus on horses from that far back. And as you can see, there's grade ones. Uh, there's a top buyer figure, which of course is not applicable uh, before 1992. Uh, Pete is able to put some horse of the year when uh, horses that have been um, awarded with horse of the year, world's best horse, um, Eclipse Awards. Now you've given two for Flightline, Pete. But yeah, it's pretty I, fair to say he'll be older male and horse of the year. Although yeah, I, I made a little bit of an assumption there. Yeah, I made a little. According assumption. to one journalist, he might not be horse of the year. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's a. Yeah, right. we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, Triple Crown wins, Breeders' Cup wins, and I adjusted it slightly, Pete, to put the starts first. Yeah, then we sure. have the wins and in the money, and then just some notes from Pete on some of the bigger races uh, that that they have won. Uh, Okay, so guys, let's go ahead and um, get into Flightline a little bit. Uh, before I show the replay of uh, Flightline here, let's just go ahead and show um, his past performances. And, you know, Jay, when you look at the past performances of Flightline, you can only be absolutely, you know, aghast. I mean, what's interesting to me, though, Jay, is if people do really do their homework and look at history – 
these PPs are amazing, but they're not completely unheard of, Jay, because uh, we just haven't seen horses run this fast in quite a while. But certainly they were doing it for quite a while with big victories, uh, you know, for a long time. You know, and that's one of the things that if you're inclined to rank Flightline high among the all-time greats that you would lean on is that every time he ran, he turned in a spectacular performance. His buyer speed figures, which are a great way of measuring horses across different eras, are spectacular. And he won in a romp every time. Uh, and, you know, just he passed the eye test, too. You watch a race like the Met Mile, where Junior Alvarado tries to race ride him twice in the opening eighth of a mile, which he was right to do to try and beat him. And he and Pratt just had too much horse that day. And then you come back and see what he did in the Pacific Classic, which was his first time around two turns going out to a mile and a quarter. And he runs what I wrote that day. And I'll uh, I'll. I'll still stick to it. It was the most spectacular performance in the 85 year history of Del Mar. And then, you know, we saw what he did in the Breeders' Cup Classic, which was another giant performance where going down the backstretch, five furlongs into the race, Pratt's two lengths behind Life is Good. And he's already looking back at the competition because <laughs> he knows he's got Life is Good measured and the race is only half over. Uh, those are all just brilliant performances, one after another. And that's to me what is makes him such a special horse. Well, in this race here, the Jade, I know you're, you're based out in California. I mean, this was jaw dropping. I know, you know, people compared this race to secretariat Paul, very famously on our show, we had a big debate with Dylan Rossi and, and, um, uh, and Brady, of course, from winning breads where you sort of, uh, th that was before the race though, before the race, we were debating on how good flight line could be. Uh, Dylan suggested that if Flightline won, he'd be one of the best horses ever. And you sort of uh, suggested maybe one of the best horses ever, maybe in the last 15 years or so. Of course, this the, was I believe he said the best horse ever, Howard. In his, he said the best horse, and then he switched to his lifetime. Yeah. I just uh, and, then said to if you, and then you said if he was take a eight, deep breath. Then you said if he was eight years old. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> anyway, Paul, this was obviously, I mean, an incredible effort. First time going. Uh, you know, two turns and you were not the only, you, you actually thought country grammar could win. I don't blame you. You were not the only one who was a bit against flight line in this race. Yeah. And it was, you know, it, you know, Jay, I would agree with your assessment and maybe behold, it could be the second, <laughs> not that right. far back might be the second. Cause that race reminded me a lot of what beholder did in the very same race. But uh, yeah, there's no there's no knocks. You know, the, the one thing I don't like about this whole exercise is somehow if you don't think Flightline's the best horse or one of the three best horses of all time, now you're, quote, knocking Flightline. You know, it, it's like if I don't think Rich Strike is the greatest three-year-old ever, well, you don't <laughs> think you're against Rich Strike. No, I, I think he got lucky and won the Kentucky Derby, and since then he's run a couple of very creditable races. You know, so if I don't think he's the three-year-old champion, which I think is patently absurd, then it doesn't mean I'm knocking him. I'm just trying to have a little perspective because, as Tom knows, I'm all about perspective. And, Paul, <laughs> once again, I, I heard from the from the reads and the connections, uh, um, your, your, your favorite horse, Rich Strike, is running in the Clark and is 
knocking down the stall doors, apparently. I, training, I read that. I'm training, not making that up. He's training very well. Paul, he when, he, when, he, when he wins the Clark, I'll add him to this list that we post on the spreadsheet. <laughs> okay. Then I'll, yeah, put him up that, there. then I'll put him up there for you. Uh, Tom, no, that, that specific classic was, you know, there, there's no, I mean, that was, that was his most dominant, certainly most dominant performance, yeah. I think. And it was spectacular. Tom, we're looking, of course, at the Breeders' Cup. Um, I would have the pleasure of being there. Jay was there. I've seen I've seen Flightline in person actually twice. I saw him at the Met Mile. Tom, was this his best race? If you could pinpoint uh, what you think his best effort was, was it this one based on the competition? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was there too, and actually, this is the probably the only the second or third time I've seen it since. Um, you know. Uh, his Met Mile, I was there for that, and, and that was very impressive. And obviously, I, I remember watching the Pacific Classic kind of at the end of Saratoga and just being very impressed with how he drew off that day. But uh, here was a, a much better field, uh, you know, top-class competition. It was unfortunate that probably the, the second-best horse in the race, Epicenter, uh, was injured in the race. But, uh, you know, he beats a very good horse, and life is good, puts him away pretty easily. And then uh, Olympiad is a, a real quality horse that runs second in here. Um, going a mile and a quarter, you know, I think that's where you can really judge, a, uh, the quality of a horse is at the 10 furlongs. And, uh, he did it twice, you know, both, both times in runaway fashion. And, and as Jay said, you know, look at his, look at his speed figures and that's how you can judge him, uh, against the others. Now I will say, I like your spreadsheet and, and this is only my, my editorial statement, but everyone's going on and on how sad they are that the horse is retiring. You know, I'm very, you know, it'd be great if he ran again, but when you look at that list, all I, all I keep saying to everybody is, don't worry, there's going to be good horses next year, too. And there's going to be good horses the year after that. There's going to be good horses the year after that. When you showed that list of horses, I'm like, oh, man, people were probably bummed out when American Pharaoh retired. And they were bummed out when Rachel Alexander retired. And they were bummed out when XYZ retired. But then there's another one to fill the hole. Arrogate came. And then California Chrome came. And then Flightline came. So, you know, people should do, don't worry. There's going to be good horses next year, too. <laughs> uh Jay and Pete, I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, we, we just mentioned the, you know, the Met Mile. I'm going to bring it up right now. Guys, I'll give you my two cents. I know a lot of people are going to disagree. I think this might have been his best effort, and I'll tell you why, for a few reasons. Number one, this was the first time he was out of California. He shipped all the way across the country. He was coming off a long layoff. Happy, uh, Happy Saber is a, a very good horse. Uh, Speaker's Corner, who actually a lot of people liked in this race, Yes, he tailed off towards the end of the uh, he he tailed off towards the end of the year, but he was still in good form. Flightline had the rail, and we're going to see. Of course, we all know what happened. And Jay, I'm going to have you comment first, and Pete, you can piggyback off that. Flightline steadies twice, which he had never done. He had never really eaten dirt. There was a lot of adversity to me here, Jay, and he still won pretty easily in 133 and change. Jay, I was super impressed by this effort and by Flightline in the Met Mile. Yeah, like I was saying a few minutes ago, I mean, I thought Junior Alvarado did everything he was supposed to in this race. He was he tried to make it uncomfortable for Flightline, and he put him in a jackpot a couple times in the opening eighth of a mile or quarter mile. But Flightline was just too much horse, and that to me was what showed you know what a special horse he is. Was he was able to overcome that, and as you pointed out, off the long layoff and shipping and not getting an ideal trip, and still winning his dominant, and then just. One last point I wanted to make about Speaker's Corner and maybe some of the others who Flightline ran against. There are a lot of horses. When you go back through the PPs of who Flightline ran against, 
And you look at the before and after of these horses and what they were accomplishing before they ran against Flightline and what they were like after, he ripped the hearts out of a lot of these horses. And Speaker's Corner is a prime example of that, but there were others. Pete? Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I do think this was this was a cool race to see from him only because, like you said, it wasn't just, hey, let me go to the front. Let me run these horses off their feet. It, the, you know, the break wasn't great. I had to sit behind a, a quality horse. And then, although my only, not to poo-poo anything that Flightline does, but, you know, sitting off speaker's corner and a horse that maybe was on the, the downward slide and we just didn't know it yet, sitting off him and then sitting off life is good. And the classic is someone who, a horse who nobody thought could get really a mile and a quarter and was almost like the best cheap speed you could ever have in a race. Cause he's fast enough to set great fractions, but almost had no chance to hold off flight line. A, a lot of these scenarios really set up for him and he took advantage of him and then dominated, but he also had some pretty good conditions to run under as well. I mean, it's still 108 and 2, 133 and change. And sure. Paul, you might remember that track was not like lightning fast that day. I mean, so, I mean, it was it was fair on Belmont weekend, but I wouldn't say it was like lightning quick or souped up or anything. Um, I I was just blown away. Now, we, we've we touched on the competition, guys. We have to talk about the competition because that's part of our uh, criteria, of course. And um, Jay, you already mentioned it. So let, let me get to the PPs here um, for flight line actually i want to go to the active so we can actually click on oh, i think i just lost it that's okay um some of the horses that he beat you know <laughs> you really cannot compare some of the horses he beat to some of the horses we're going to be talking about he didn't i mean life is good was very good obviously uh olympiad would have been a, a top choice in any you know breeders cup classics but you know early on in his career i mean beat baby yoda in the who who you know, only ran well, basically, at Saratoga. I'm going back to the Malibu now. I mean, he only had six races, but it would not be fair to say he faced series competition in all those six. And he only faced a limited number of grade one winners. And some of them, Jay, were out west, like an express train who, yes, grade one by name. But honestly, some of the handy older handicap division races uh, for males out west really didn't impress me that much. Well, um that may be true, but I think you also have to have the perspective that maybe this horse is just so good, he made really good horses look ordinary. And that is where I come down, for instance, in the Pacific Classic with Country Grammar, who was a Dubai World Cup winner. And as I was saying a moment ago about how I think Flightline really ripped the hearts out of a lot of these horses, Speaker's Corner was never the same. I don't know that he was on the downside going into the Met Mile, but he certainly was afterwards. And I think it's because of what he was up against that day. Country Grammar hasn't run since the Pacific Classic. I mean, flight, and that to me shows the dominance of this horse. And then just last point I want to make about the supposed great trip he had in the, in the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic. Yes, he sat off a horse who probably isn't at his best going at a mile and a quarter, but they were going fast fractions and he was right up there with them and he kept on going. And usually when a horse is in a spot like that, it sets it up for horses from behind. And in this case, he won off by eight and a half. Jay, this separation, I mean, I, we could talk about this race forever. This, I, I'll let me put us on the side of the screen. This separation, Jay, is crazy, considering the horses behind are really nice horses. I agree. I mean, Olympiad is a, is a top-quality horse. You look at his record this year, 
he, he never ran a bad race. Once he went around two turns, he was dynamite. And he, maybe the one race at Saratoga was he, you give him a mulligan for that. But other than that, he had a terrific year and he was no match for him this day. So I think you need to look at the performance of, the, of this horse through the perspective of, you know, maybe he's just so extraordinary that he was making really good horses look average. And I spoke with, I had the pleasure of meeting and speaking to Chad Brown over Breeders' Cup weekend. And I said, is, you know, horses, can, can their heart just be taken out? Is that a real thing? Or is that just, you know, handicapping talk? And he said, it's absolutely a real thing. That they get discouraged just like human beings. And that can absolutely happen. Tom, as I quickly go back to the criteria, and then we're going to get into other horses, guys. I would assume you would agree, Tom, that number one on this list is flight line strength, right? For people that want to make the argument that flight line fits with Secretariat or, you know, Affirmed or, or Cigar or the bid or whoever, I would assume, assume that his race against the clock more than accomplishments would be the most impressive thing about flight line. Would absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he can only run against who shows up uh, to run against him. But, but the fact of the matter is, you know, people have the opinions, but the clock has the facts. And you had the PPs up there, 108, 108, uh, one, you know, 121, 133, a minute 59, two minutes, um, and winning by daylight. So, you know, yeah, okay, Baby Yoda was second, but who cares? He was 10 and a half lengths behind, right? I mean, <laughs> um, you know, for horses to do that, I mean, and this horse, every time he, there was supposed to be a test for him, you know? Grade one company, oh, the, the Malibu was going to be a test for him. Speaker's <laughs> Corner, Happy Saver, shipping across the country, that was going to be a test for him. Two turns, Dubai World Cup winner, that was going to be a test for him. The best field he's ever faced in the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland, never run there before, that's going to be a test for him. I mean, just answers the question, answers the bell every single time. Um, you know, and, and, and horse racing is funny because every time a, good, a horse has a good performance, we reward them with a tougher challenge next time. You know, think about it. You go from maiden to a other than you run against winners. Then you go to stake, you go to grade two, then you go to grade one. You keep winning. You're going to, your challenge gets harder every time. And this horse just keep it kept, kept answering the challenge every time. And any, you know, theoretically, some could argue we got better every time. Now, Paul, let's talk about, we got to discuss. He only raced six times. And again, we're right after this, Paul, we're going to get to some other horses. I know you talked about this on the show many times. Fair enough. Um, he, he had a hawk issue early in the year. Obviously, when he was, before he was even raced, he had that major issue uh, in the stall and, and couldn't race. The Connections only raced him six times. I, I know you feel like they should have raced him more, could have raced him more. I think that's going to be the big sticking point as we go through some of the all-time greats there that he only ran six times and he just retired. I can't say I blame them. You know, the, the horse is worth 184 million, but for me, Paul, for this horse to be really considered at the very, very top, in my opinion, you got to race more than six times. You got to race more than one calendar a year, basically. Yeah, I would agree. Although, I mean, I, I think John Sadler, you know, hats off to him. You know, he had a plan and uh, he didn't deviate from the plan. And, you know, the, the, he was, he let the horse, I think, tell him where he wanted to go. And, you know, I, I think they knew from day one what they were sitting on, uh, probably before he ever ran. I mean, you know, they did pay a million bucks for him or a million one or whatever. So, um, 
from the Fezic Tipton Saratoga sale, I might add. Uh, but uh, I, I think they knew what I think they knew what they had, and uh, you know, yeah. But I I do think it's I do yes. Do I think it's fair to say? You know, there's an uh, an incomplete maybe if you're talking about the greatest of all time yeah, through no fault of the horse. You know, maybe who knows? He could have been 22 for 22. We're just not going to know. No. So that's why it gives us a chance to all be right or all be wrong, which is <laughs> my specialty. Jay, I don't know if you saw the comment at the bottom of the screen from Jeff Amster wants to congratulate <laughs> you. I hope it doesn't mean that you will be abandoning King Umberto. Uh, we need you here in Nassau County to support the economy. Big fan of King Umberto, huh, Jay? I should have I worn my King Umberto sweatshirt. I have it in the, in the closet in the other room. I, I should go grab it and, and, and bring it back for Jeff. But, yeah, I, I'll – I'll still uh, I'll still get back there for King Umberto. All right, guys, let, let's go to the list. So here's the list again: the Force Horse. And guys, if you want to, if if there's a horse that you're dead set on talking about, please feel free to interrupt me and say, Howard, we got to talk about X. I mean, we, we could be on for again four hours, but we have a roughly 25 minutes left here to discuss. The first horse I want to talk about is Arrogate. I think Arrogate is probably. To me, one of the more impressive horses we've seen, especially over a short stretch. And I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Let me, as I'm going to click some buttons here, Jay, I'll let you start first. Um, Arrogate, how impressed were you, you with his career? And where would you say he fit, at least in the in the short amount of, he about four or five race span where he was absolutely unbelievable? Right. There was a there was a stretch where he was unbeatable, but there were also times, obviously, Delmar was his kryptonite. He was just horrendous. <laughs> Uh, at at yeah. Delmar, unfortunately for him, there were significant races at, at Delmar, including the Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, the, the second time he ran in it. Uh, after winning it the, day. Right, after winning it the first time. But that stretch where, you know, between the Travers uh, and then through the Dubai World Cup, that's as good a run as a horse has ever had. But it was, that's only how many months? Eight? Right. You know, he, yeah. I mean, he, was, he was the best horse in the world for eight months, but... Um, it, and that's one of the hard things about doing an exercise like this is comparing it. You're really comparing apples to oranges when you look at this or flight line. And then you compare that to spectacular bid or secretariat or even further sure. back citation. who was 19 for 20, just as a three-year-old. <laughs> right. Well, my, my point here, Jay, is, I mean, you, you mentioned the eight months from August to, you know, Dubai, but how many months was flight line? the best so my point is that the time span obviously and right. those four races jay i i in my lifetime other than flight line i, I can't think of too many that he str that strung together any better i mean that dubai world cup uh, uh paul and pete was i'm not gonna show the replay guys again we could show replays forever where he broke slow and closed from the back and blew by gunrunner who by the way was a pretty nice horse was just unbelievable. So that stretch that Arrogate had was as good as about any stretch of almost any horse, you know, I don't know about ever, but it, it certainly lasts 40 years. Yeah, I think if you're looking at, at, quote, contemporary, if you're only going back, you know, say 10, 15 years, I think two very good comparisons are Arrogate and Ghost Zapper. And I guess you're going to go back about 17 years for Ghost Zapper. But, you know, Ghost Zapper had the big figure, the 128, and Flightline had the 126. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with Jay that that, you know, I remember Arrogant and that Travis, I think, was 9 to 1 or some, some ridiculous Almost 12 number. To one. 12 to 1, Tom lost. Almost, yeah. And, uh, 
and the World Cup, you know, when you watch the version of the race where they have Baffert isolated, it was uh, it was a precursor, God forbid, to the to the real heart attack that he that he ended up having on the way over there because he was just distraught when he saw how arrogant broke in that race. And, you know, so, you know, again, you try to do a, a 50, 75 year thing. You know, I think those are two over the last 20 years that are, you could make great cases for all three in different, in different ways. Um, Tom, is there a horse on this list? The next horse I was going to talk about is Cigar. I mean, obviously, Gosat. Listen, all these horses are unbelievable. Tom, is there a horse between Arrogate and Cigar that you would say absolutely it needs to be considered as one of the top like five horses of all time? Let's just say one of the top five of all time. Top uh, ten. Top ten. I'm not sure I'm putting Arrogate in the top ten of all time either. So. Well, no, I just put him up for the yeah. time for the time reason. I, I you know, I, I think uh, Curlin and you mentioned Cigar. Um, and, and even tis now, I mean, those are horses that, you know, went through campaigns that crossed the country and, and ran in kind of the important races. Now, Cigar is, is uh, you know, a, a pretty good benchmark for uh, a great horse kind of in the modern Breeders' Cup era. And you might say he's probably maybe the best horse in the in the Breeders' Cup era. Uh, won the won the classic uh, at Belmont, you know, just barely got beat in the classic at Woodbine. Uh, and, and ran in all these other important races, you know, Oakland handicap, you know, mass cap, a couple of mass times. cap Woodward. twice, two time winner of the Massachusetts <laughs> handicap. Tom. I threw that in early cause I knew it was coming. So, uh, you didn't let me finish, but <laughs> Tom, I, I, Tom, I put us on the side because yeah. interesting enough, he did, I won't say struggle, but it took them a while to sort of figure out, you know, what was best. He wasn't always trained by Mott. Once he got going in an allowance race in October of 94, sure. he ended up winning 16 in a row, which again, there are, there are a lot of younger people watching tonight, Tom. So these are things we probably know, but cigar now is all, it's crazy to think it's almost 30 years ago, guys. It's really unbelievable to me to think it was that long ago. Um, you know, obviously got upset by, uh, to Darren go, uh, Jay, I'm assuming you were there that day. I would assume. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'll let you I talk was there about that, that day. I was there that day. Oh, where are you, Paul? Okay. As so I'm going to go back yes, to our full screen, guys. But, I mean, Jay, the run that he had for a long period of time was just absolutely spectacular. Right. And that's that's what, you know, when you're trying to rank, well, who's the greatest of all time, you've got to put it into context. And for a modern era, this horse ran often and traveled often. And I think sometimes gets penalized for – you know, the moderate career he had before the switch was made from turf to dirt. And then he, and then he just went from strength to strength. And then obviously at the very, very end of his career, he wasn't quite the same, even though he put up some pretty gallant efforts and skip away. Wasn't exactly uh, a <laughs> chop uh, liver, right? <laughs> right. He, he was a pretty darn good horse himself. So, uh, but, but the, the run that he was on uh, over all those months and shipping halfway around the world, coming out to California, going back to New York. That was just an incredible uh, campaign. I mean, Cigar, as we go, he had 11. Let's go back. Again, you're looking at line 21, everyone here. Um, I don't want to keep making bigger and smaller, guys. It's just going to be tricky. But 11 grade ones, Jay, two-time horse of the year, high buy figure of 121, four Eclipse Awards, 28 for 33 in the money, 19 wins, um, Pete, it, it, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to, again, compare flight line to cigar, 
I'm just going to flat out say it. I think Cigar had a better career and was a better horse. Well, and I think one thing you can look well, and it's funny to to Jay's point there about the turf. If you take off the turf, I think he's what about 19 or 18 for 22 on the dirt. So if that was his only career, it would look even better. But yeah, I I think the weird thing about some of these is you almost have to look at it in some horses just had stretches, which were awesome. Like cigar had a longer stretch than most, but some of these, as I was sort of going through and looking at older horses, you see, man, from, for this 10 race stretch or this six race stretch, this horse was amazing. Now maybe a little bit in the older days when they ran more often, maybe their first few races weren't as good or their last few weren't as good. They hung on a little too long, but you could find some stretches, which were just as impressive as almost any horse along, along the course of time. So I think if you looked at it, it's almost like you have to look at it and said, do you say on this horse's best day, if you put them all in a race together right. and on their best day, who would win? which is a toss up, but you can't, it's hard to say like flight line had the best career. He was maybe had some of the most impressive races, but career, he just wasn't yes. around long enough and didn't run long enough. So it's almost like siloed arguments where if you said best career is one argument, best and imp- most impressive race, one argument, most impressive stretch, another argument, um, instead of just saying, Hey, he was the greatest of all time, which as you wind up looking at all these horses, you go, like Tom said, there's a lot of great horses. They just come one after the other. And so many of them are great. And so many of them were great. Uh, Jay, real quick. Can you want to talk about uh, the Darren go victory and what the crowd was like? And then Paul, I'd like you to comment on go Sapper really quickly. Cause of course that horse ran a lot out East Paul. Jay. Yeah, I, I, well, I just remember when they crossed the wire, it was just, you heard maybe a couple of whoops and yells from maybe where Mandela's crew was. But other than that, the place was silent. Uh, people were just stunned that he had gotten beat. Because don't forget, he you know, 16 in a row. And he'd, he hadn't been beaten in, in well over a, a year and several months. And he was a heavy favorite in the race. And everybody thought he was invincible. Uh, and, and But he got beat that day. And that's, that's just what I remember most. It, it was the only other thing I can compare it to was when Birdstone beat Smarty Jones and just you heard this roar at the top of the stretch at Belmont Park that day. And by the time they got to the wire, the place was silent. It was analogous to that at Del Mar that day. And Birdstone wins the Belmont State. What a great call by Tom Durkin. And by the <laughs> way, in the in the gloom, in the in the impending thunderstorm, um, Paul, go zapper. I, we're, I, I'd say it's, I feel guilty, guys. We're sort of like brushing aside go zapper. I mean, it's crazy. But a lot of people, Paul including my good friend Nick Tamaro, brought up Go Zapper as a comparison with Flightline because of their styles and how fast they were by the figs. Where, where do you put Go Zapper with Flightline, Paul, real quickly? Well, you know, again, he, he's got the, the one big fig, real big fig. He's got a lot of big figs, but one spectacular fig. You know, you look at his top three wins on, on you know, the classic, the Woodwood, the Met Mile, Flight Flightline won the classic, the Met Mile. You know, he he only lost twice. He, you know, he ran 11 times, which was not overly uh, a lot for, for that. Even 17 years ago, they were running a little more often. But, you know, I, I think it's a fair comparison. Uh, you know, again, he did get beat twice, and flight line has not gotten beat. So you could certainly make that argument. But, you know, when I when I was talking about relative contemporaries, that's I just brought him up because of the time frame, although – 17 years, I guess, is a little longer. Than, <laughs> I, I didn't think it was quite 17 years. These years are getting away from me. Uh, but, you know, I, I, do, I, I don't know if, if he's one you put in the, you know, all-time greats. But, 
you know, he did have his stretch and he did have his dominant race and, you know, on the biggest stage. So, you know, I, I don't think you could sell him short. Well, one thing about time figures, and I'm sure most of you know this, but, you know, Flightline's top was 126. Tom, Craig Milkowski had the Pacific Classic at like 152 time form, which equates to somewhere like a one mid-30s buyer. So some people thought that 126 at the Pacific Classic was a little bit low. Tom, do you do you look at time form? Do you have any opinion on that? Or you don't really care what the number says? It was just awesome and just move on. Yeah, probably the latter. Okay. <laughs> I'll be honest. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, I, one horse that I, I think maybe overlooked was Curlin. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about a modern horse, yeah. uh, in the more modern, to a good comparison, when you talk about uh, what makes a horse great, I mean, not only not only a horse that was campaigned, that ran in the important races as a three-year-old, and then again in four and five, you know, but he also could throw in a real brilliant performance as well. Um, you know, they're like a ghost sapper and a flight line turn in brilliant performances, but don't, don't necessarily run a lot. Um, you know, sure. Uh, Jay, let's, let's go back a little bit now, a little further. I think we and... need to acknowledge Paul's hat change, by the way, before we go. Oh, there, there, <laughs> sorry, you're right. Uh, Paul's a huge Curlin fan. Uh, Curlin, My license Curlin. plate right outside, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Curl in Massachusetts. And Barbara Banke, in a bit of trivia no one cares about, has the California plate curling. Because she told me that at Saratoga last summer. Wow. Okay. So That's there. pretty cool. Uh, Jay, let, let's go back to when I started becoming sort of a race fan. And Jay, I got into horse racing a little later. I'm Pete and I are the same age. I'm 51. Uh, Pete and I are about the same age. I know uh, yourself and Paul has for a few years. Tom, I would never ask, and I don't know. But I started. You know, I'm 51. I'm 51 too. Okay, there yeah. we go, Tom. So we got three guys in their early 50s, and then and then Paul and Jay. Two dinosaurs, are... Jay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started watching races in my late teens, Jay. So the first races I really remember watching t- TV and really getting into, you know, where your where your personal ensigns, your Sunday silence, the the personal ensigns, Sunday silence, easy goer, even into AP Indy stretch. I mean, Jay, these are these are some all-time greats. Certainly so. Uh, and, you know, one of the great things about Sunday Silence was that he was tested and measured uh, in, in four races by a, a terrific contemporary and right. easygoer and beat him three right. out of four times. And that, I think, was one of the reasons people appreciated just how good Sunday Silence was. And moving on to personal ensign, you know, there's a, an example of a horse who did it repeatedly and over a number of, of years, uh, you know, two, three, and, and four, and obviously with that memorable win in the distaff to close out her career. Yeah, the fact that Sunday – I mean, Jay, if Sunday Silence didn't have easy goer and vice versa, I mean, how many great ones of those horses won, right, if they didn't right. have that com- – but then you could say maybe they're not as good because they didn't have that competition. So the competition may have made them even better per se. It's a tricky dance, right, Jay, when you're looking at the history of it. Made for great theater. I mean, I still maintain that that Preakness Stakes was as good a race as I'll ever see. Uh, I was, I mean, unbelievable. Those, those horses battled time and time again. Hey, Guys, Jay, I, Jay, I was just going to say, Jay, but easy, if you, you can't see it on the wall, Easy Goer is my favorite horse. I have a huge picture. I still watch the classic, still rooting for him to get home, and he, he never does, unfortunately, when I watch on YouTube. But I still try. I still try and snap him home every single time. And he never. <laughs> I hate Pat Day to this day. I, my dad's favorite jockey of all time. I still hate him for some of those rides. And um, 
but yeah, I think those were, it helps having a, a horse that great next to you. It makes your, it makes what you're accomplished a lot better. Hey, Howard, before you go backwards, can we just skip forward one? So we sort of sure. skipped over American Pharaoh. And the one thing I wanted to say about American Pharaoh only Completely was, overrated. One of the most overrated horses of all time. There, I said it. Yeah. Send hate mail to me, everyone. Go ahead. Okay. Well, it's like we could <laughs> we could say the same about your girl, Rachel, when we get, if we ever got to her. But whoa, we're gonna whoa, her, whoa, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, so, <laughs> but the only thing I would say is that some of these horses, they've ran their best performances when they've got to like four and a little bit older when they matured. So you wonder if some of these horses that retire now at three, like American Pharaoh, he had a 120 buyer. He had some pretty dominant races, didn't necessarily face the best competition in some of them. But if he goes to four and then matures sort of physically even more and maybe mentally and then takes a step forward, you just don't know where it's like Flightline's best races were at four, like Ghost Zapper ran some great races as he got a little. Um, so I just wonder with some of these three-year-olds that stopped running, like California Chrome got great after his, I mean, he was so great at three and then got great again. And that was cool to see. And you just don't see that enough anymore. So I, yeah. I love American Pharaoh. And I just wonder if he came back one more year, if he could have had some eye-popping stuff on his own. Uh, Paul, we got breaking news at the bottom of the screen. Curlin might be available for people who live in New York, by the way. So. <laughs> Tom, I'm going to use your address. I'll register a car right there. <laughs> it, it won't, it, that, it, it's it's going to be in about 10 seconds. It won't be anymore. Um, guys, let's go back a little bit before at least my time, slightly back and maybe peep. But Tom, I'm going to go to you. I've heard Andy Serling, who I have a ton of respect for, talk about this next horse I'm going to bring on the screen and his PPs thinking this has got to be one of the top three horses of all time or right up there with Secretariat. And that's Spectacular Bid, who is absolutely unbelievable. Here are the PPs. I'm going to make them a little bit bigger. Any thoughts on uh, Spectacular Bid, Tom? Many thoughts. I mean, look at his record, first of all. Uh, I think you, I think there's 14 grade one wins in there. Uh, and, 26 and he, for and he, 30. Not bad. Yeah, his record. Yeah, overall record. 14 grade one wins. Yeah. And he was a grade one winner at two, three, and four. Um, and, and and winning and dominating, you know, and, and crossing the country, running on the East Coast, running on the West Coast. Uh, yeah, he's in the he's definitely in the conversation for the, the greatest of all time, not only uh, in terms of just throwing down brilliant performances, but also, you know, have, having the longevity to his career. I mean, 30 starts. You know, uh, and, and Jay winning at weights at like 130. I'm looking at some of the fractions. I understand the California tracks are different now, of course, they were ba way back then. But you look at towards the top of the screen, you know, like for example, the Californian a mile and eighth goes 45 to the half, 108 and four, 133, 145 and four. I don't care how fast those tracks were back then. Of course, it wasn't cushioned, obviously, at that time. This is a this was a serious serious animal, Jay. He, uh, you know, he is the horse that I used to always say is the best I ever saw with my own eyes. I saw every one of his California races uh, that four year old year after he came out to California and started in the Malibu. In fact, the Malibu, which was then run in early January, now it's the it's the opening day feature at Santa Anita. But back then it was in early January. That was the first race I ever covered. I was still in college and. Uh, I was working part-time at a paper in LA and they didn't have anybody covering the races and I volunteered. And that was the first race I ever actually uh, wrote about professionally. 
but I saw all of his races out here. And it's funny you just brought up that Californian. That is the most spectacular, other than looking at maybe the what we saw from Flightline in the Pacific Classic. But that was the most spectacular performance I've seen an individual run because he's one of the things about spectacular bid was he had this unbelievable acceleration and then Shoemaker could sit on him for an eighth of a mile and then he'd re-engage and rattle off another 22 and change quarter in the middle of the race. He was a phenomenal talent. No, I mean, he was, we go back to uh, Peter Paul. I don't know if you want to comment, sorry, on the, let me just go back to what spectacular bid 14 grade ones, uh, only horse of the year uh, once, which really shocked me. Four Eclipse Awards, again, 29 for 30 in the money, 26 out of 30 on the win end. Uh, Paul, spectacular bid was absolutely that spectacular. Yeah, it sure was. And, you know, the there's, uh, the story about, you know, stepping on the pin before the Belmont, yeah. and, you know, maybe that, uh, you know, do you call it a blemish that he didn't win the triple crown? He won two-thirds of the triple crown. But, yeah, I would agree with Jay. You know, if you really – if you really got down to this and, and you, you got to the nitty gritty, uh, I think he's going to be on any final list, any final short list. You know, yeah. you could define short as three, five, seven, but I think he, he's on the short list. Well, and actually, hey, Howard, the, good, the crazy thing is when you said the, the thing that struck me about the horse of the year was his three-year-old season for most horses and most seasons would have won horse of the year as well, but it just happened that Affirmed was winning his second horse of the year in that year and then had beat as dean mentioned beat spectacular bid and i I watched that one today i mean i don't remember it jay i don't know if you remember it more clearly obviously but he beat him on the square i mean it wasn't like some weird thing happened i mean he just beat him and it just goes to show how great affirmed is and i think he maybe gets shortchanged a little bit i'm sure we'll get to him maybe next but um spectacular bid only had one horse of the year because there was just such other great horses around him unfortunately for him in terms of you know longevity and 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 records i guess more than longevity more record than anything go ahead jay did you want to comment on what no, no i was just saying that's i i agree with everything pete just said i mean that's exactly right I mean, you know, spectacular yeah. bid suffered as a as a three-year-old for year-end honors because he happened to be running against a four-year-old affirmed <laughs> you know and, and affirmed was a, a a magnificent horse i mean he's just yeah. a, a, a great great racehorse Guys, we, we only have about five minutes or so left, and I hate to you know cut people short, but I, Jim Miller is going to be waiting in the background, and and we again we could have this we could have a part two of the show. Maybe we will, guys. Maybe we'll maybe we will have a part two. But again, like I don't want to gloss over Seattle Slough was absolutely unbelievable. You know, Kelso. But guys, we have to end our conversation with this horse, uh, and I think most people would agree, um, other than maybe Man of War, the best horse of all time. Here's Secretariat. Uh, Tom, I'll let you talk about Secretariat first. What struck me the most, and you could say many amazing things about Secretariat, track record in every single Triple Crown race. I mean, that is absolutely insane. We all know what he did, of course, in the Belmont, but track record in the Preakness, uh, track stakes record in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, what are you going to say? This horse is, is pretty much, I think, uh, universally everyone's at least North American best horse of all time. Yeah. And those track records still stand. I mean, they, they do. that's what people need to remember. <laughs> Not only did he set them at the time and then, you know, five years later they got broken, but what, one little thing that is interesting about his past performances that I've you know looked at and seen as all his races was 
you know, he, he goes and runs 21 days after winning the Belmont out to yes. Arlington, you know, and <laughs> right. And then he comes a, a, a little more than a month later, runs into Whitney, you know, obviously gets sick and then comes back and runs in the, in the, in the Marlboro cup again, and then finishes it off running on the turf. Um, yep. You know, <laughs> so, you know, his, his triple crown races are, are unbelievable and, 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 you know, really eye popping to this day. Um, but, but the way that he sort of finished off his career after the, the triple crown, he didn't win every race, but you know, the fact of the matter is if, if horses run a lot, they get beat, they all get beat, right. but it's what happens after they get beat. You know, it, it's sort of like a, it's like, it's like sports, good sports teams. They get beat sometimes, but it's how they respond to those losses. Um, and you look at secretary, he responded to those losses. He lost in the Whitney, came back and won the Marlboro cup lost again to Alan Jerkins in the Woodward. Then he comes back and runs, you know, back-to-back brilliant races on the grass uh, to, to end his career. Uh, same with his, his loss in the Wood Memorial. Comes back and, and just runs a huge race in the Derby. I got Secretariat over my shoulder, too. He's yeah. back there. I got Personal Ensign back there, too, if you, if you didn't notice. But thanks for the shout-out there. <laughs> hey, hey, Tom, you know what was funny, though, looking at Secretariat, you talked about how, yeah, they just didn't have great – I mean, they were just started coming around with grade 1s and grade 2s, and they didn't have that many. That Secretariat's only three dirt grade 1s were the three triple crowns. I didn't yeah. never thought of that. It doesn't mean anything. It was just when I was looking yeah. at his PPs again, I was like, oh, crap, I never noticed that before. Like, he has four grade 1s, one's yeah. on the turf. His only three dirt yeah. ones happen to be the triple crown. means absolutely can, nothing, yeah. but just was funny more than anything. Yeah, but you can add the hopeful fraternity – yeah, I was looking at like, yeah, they would be, yeah, ones. they would be yeah. great ones now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Jay, I think as, as we start wrapping up our conversation, Jay, I think people overrate horses that are undefeated. And I think Floyline's a bit of an example of that, at least in my personal opinion. If you race enough times, like we've said, you are going to lose. I mean, right. how, how much more credits you give an undefeated horse than a horse that has lost, Jay? Well, it, 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 I think Tom Law just made the, the perfect uh, example of that, is that, you know, the more you run, there's the more chances that you're going to lose a race. And that's one of the things that is going to be the knock when you look back historically on flight line is that he did only run six times. And, you know, Spectacular Bid ran 30. He only lost four of them. So what's a, yeah. and, and he ran over three seasons. So what's the greater accomplishment, 26 for 30 or six for six? I, I would argue 26 for 30. Easy, 26 for 30. I, I would agree. Yeah. Guys, let's do a quick wrap around here as we bring on. And, Jim, I know you're waiting. Jim Miller's waiting backstage. Jim, we're going to bring you on because I want to hear your opinion. In just a few minutes, Jim, we're going to bring you on to hear where you think flight line fits. I'm going to go. I'm just going to start uh, with our great guests. We'll, we'll go Tom and then Jay. We'll just go uh, uh, to Paul and Pete. Uh, Tom, where do you put flight line amongst the best ever? Uh, probably top 25. You know? Wow. You go as far as like 20. Is yeah. That... Wow. Okay. Just because he didn't race enough or just probably. All the reasons we've yeah. Talked about? Yeah. I mean, cause you gotta, you know, look at the, look at the horses that we talked about. I'm not yeah. saying he's 25th, uh, no, but you know, <laughs> But you know, affirmed Seattle Slough, Kelso, Doctor Fager, spectacular bid. Uh, they're all ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, we, just, we didn't even talk about Kelso. Um, and, I mean, yeah. Um, Jay, where where do you put flight line? See, and that that's the, one of the things you guys just brought up. It was it was stressed earlier too by someone that um, you know when you're looking at at horses that 
from different eras and that run as infrequently as, as now Flightline did, it's just hard to put him in that context and say, well, he's, you know, a top five of all time. Was he, a, he maybe he turned in a top five individual performance of all time in some of his races, but to say he's like, you know, one of the top five horses we've seen since Man of War, I think is a bigger reach. And, and I think this is the context of Flightline is actually going to be easier to do maybe 20 years from now because the trend is obviously towards fewer and fewer races for these horses. And I think he's going to be looked at more through the prism of, okay, what has the sport evolved to, or you might say devolved to, uh, but that's, that's why it's so hard for me to say, Oh, he's one of the top five of all time. But in terms of like what I saw with my own eyes during my career in from an individual performance standpoint, to me, he ranks right up there with Spectacular Bid. But in terms of would I rank him over Spectacular Bid? No, because of what Spectacular Bid did over three seasons on the racetrack. Well well said, Jay. Uh, Paul, where do you have Flightline right now? I'm going to be a little kinder than my friend Tom. He's he's always been a little tougher and greater than I am. I'm going to, I'm going to say top 20. Okay. I thought you were gonna say top twenty-four. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were gonna go like top twelve the way you were you were saying it, Paul. I, I don't know. <laughs> I said a little time. Paul, let it. me ask you a, a theoretical, and then we're gonna go to Pete, and then we'll bring Jim Miller on. I we talked about this a lot. I know you've talked about it. Let's just hypothetically say that Flightline ran next year. Uh, let's say he wins easily the Pegasus, goes overseas. Let's just say wins the Dubai World Cup. Who cares by how many lengths? Goes to Saratoga, wins the Whitney, etc. Wins the BC Classic again, finishes, I'll put a number, 12 for 12. So races one more season, then where do you have him? Then I got him in the top 10. I would top five. Double it. Yeah. 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 That would obviously move him up. Yeah, maybe five. Yeah, Yeah. in that five to 10. Yeah. Uh, But that's, I mean, that's a lot of races that you just mentioned, Howard. (laughs) no, No question. No question. A lot more important races. Right. That too. Uh, Pete, I'll let you have the final thought within our, you know, co-host here, and then I'll say a quick word and we'll bring on Jim. Actually, you I, Pete? Jay sort of more eloquently said what I exactly what I think. I think I probably have him top twenty, just in terms of impressiveness. But I think if you said, yeah, on a singular race basis or on sort of a short stretch basis, that would probably move him up a little bit. But as far as career-wise, I would say probably top twenty, just because of how brilliant he is but didn't do enough and didn't have the opportunity to do enough to, to break into where some of these other horses are. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, guys, I've got him somewhere in the 10 to 15 mark, but I will say on any given day, he could probably compete with literally just about anyone on his best. Yeah. I mean, that's how good he was. I think that's fair to say, but over a career, I have somewhere between 10 to 15. And I, here's the last thing I'll say. I think this is a great comparison uh, in my opinion. If you're a fan of the NFL, and of course I'm from Chicago, Jay and Tom, Flightline reminds me a lot of Gale Sayers. Gale Sayers was an unbelievable running back. For those of you who don't know, he was a highlight reel. He was spectacular. He was the best running back for several years. The problem is, unfortunately, he got hurt. I know Flightline didn't get injured, but in terms of a time. Uh, he was just spectacular for about five, five or six years. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but he doesn't compare for me to like a Jim Brown or a Walter Payton. So if I were to put it in a football context, that's how I would compare it. Um, guys, let's really quickly bring on Jay, uh, Jim Miller, uh, and then uh, we'll let you guys go. Jim Miller. Jim, how you doing? Welcome to the 
to the show, Jim. We got a great crew here. Real quick, Jim, where do you have Flightline? Yeah, it's a packed panel, so it is very cool. Uh, thanks for having me <laughs> on. Um, I guess a couple of things that I see for Flightline, um, like you mentioned, it's only six races. It's not that career that really encapsulates and brings all those horse racing fans in to must-see TV because the races were so rare and so few and far between. So that was the big thing that kind of got me a little bit to probably down around the maybe top 25 range. Um, the horse that I, I came up with through the industry was Cigar. That, that was the horse that kind of got me started. I was at Arlington Park working when Cigar won at Arlington. I was at Woodbine when Cigar lost the Breeders' Cup Classic. But everybody was there for Cigar. This was the horse that you went back to the barn and you watched in the morning. He knew the cameras were there. Every corner, he stopped. He posed for the picture. He did this at every single racetrack. So that was kind of what it was. It, it was a horse that really captured the everyman type of thing. And I think that's a little bit of a difference too. A lot of these horses that you guys talked about were major news, were major news in the industry or major news outside of the industry. Flightline to me was still just kind of that major news within the industry just because of so few races. So that's probably the reason I'd have them a little bit lower on the list. Understood. Uh, Tom Law, Jay Priven, we really appreciate you guys coming on. I hope you enjoyed our experience here on the HHH Racing podcast one of the the best and fastest growing uh podcasts on youtube if i may say uh we'd love to have you guys on again uh for an, another show jay enjoy your retirement hope you feel blood, better you. i know you're a little bit under the weather tom i hope to you know i have to meet both of you it's at, at some point uh we're and pete and paul of course excellent job as always everyone listening we're gonna take a very short break jim very short break about one minute uh and then we're gonna come back and talk about the great uh, pick four at Hawthorne tomorrow with a $25,000 guarantee. So don't go anywhere. Everyone on the screen, thank you very much for joining us. And everyone, Thanks, we, will be, we will be back in just a minute here on the HHH Racing Podcast. Take care, everyone. See you, everybody.
mic issue. There we go. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Uh, sorry, I don't think you heard me with the promo. So thanks. Uh, we are sponsored this segment by Hawthorne Racecourse. Let's go ahead and bring on back my good friend, Jim Miller. Uh, Jim, that was a really fun conversation we had about Flightline. I've heard a lot of interesting things. What I found a bit um, overzealous, I'll, I'll say it nicely, is at the end of the NBC broadcast, and I love Larry Colmus, by the way, he mentioned there was a secretary-like performance, and then Randy Moss, who I have a ton of respect for, and Jerry Bailey sort of thought that he deserved to be in the conversation with Secretariat. I think they are getting maybe caught up, and maybe that's what NBC wanted to say. Jim, I thought that was a little bit over the top, to be very honest with you. You're uh, muted, Jim. Sorry, you just pulled what I did, Jim. <laughs> that, not you're still. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my fault. That's my my fault. I'm sorry, Jim. Complete. Up, oh, you're still muted now, Jim. <laughs> okay. I unmuted it, Howard. So now we're good. <laughs> oh my bad. Uh, anyway, a little bit over the top with yeah. the NBC comparisons, yep. and I and I have full respect for Jerry Bailey and Randy Moss and Colmus, but I almost to me is slightly cringeworthy to be very honest with you. You know what? Like I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, here's the thing about it: the 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 public, the national public really didn't know who Flightline was. I mean, those within the industry knew who Flightline was. So if you're just the general public tuning into the Breeders' Cup, you're seeing this horse with this huge performance and you almost have to relate it to somebody that that everybody knows. Everybody knows who Secretariat is. So that's kind of what they did. They related it to the horse that, that everybody can relate with, the horse that everybody knew who this great Triple Crown winner was who put this huge performance on in the Belmont Stakes winning by 31 lengths. That's, I think, the reason why they got so over the top. Like I said, six lifetime races, six lifetime victories on any given day, yes. That performance stands up against other horses' performances. Encapsulating a career is something completely different, though. These horses yeah. that are fighting every fight, are going whatever distance, are going coast to coast. That was the one thing I loved about Cigar. It didn't matter where he was running, every racetrack. He was all over the place, north of the border, east coast, west coast, Midwest. It, it was that was the cool thing for me. That's why I related with a horse like that. Um, you didn't really see that out of flight line. Everything was basically on the west coast until the Breeders' Cup. So that was the reason why ex exemplary performances. Don't get me wrong with that, but as a career, there's so many horses that I think just had su such better careers. Yeah, I, I think we on the panel would agree. Um, let's talk about the pick four, Jim. We've yeah. got some exciting stuff. Uh, again, tomorrow, we both, by the way, crushed the pick four last week. It wouldn't say it was exactly like <laughs> it, right? uh, was a little bit on the chalky end, but listen, you only can play what you got in front of you. We both cash. So better than, uh, uh, losing right. tomorrow's pick four as again, it's Friday and we're filming this Thursday night. Of course, I thought this was tricky, Jim, yeah. and I, I, I'd be shocked, shocked if this thing doesn't pay, you know, at least 150, 200 bucks. I just thought it was very difficult. I'm going to go ahead and bring up the PPs here yep. uh, right now. I'm going to go ahead and split screen here in a minute. Um, it starts again tomorrow, uh, 5 o'clock Chicago time, 6 o'clock on the East Coast. Let me go ahead and bring up our picks here as we're quickly going to go through the pick for everyone. I need to bring up our picks, and there they are. Okay. There we go. Uh, Jim, we're thinking alike here yep. in this first leg of the pick four, although we're going to different horses on top, you're going to go with the number four, just right Mike off the claim. Uh, this is a, a speedy gelding 
uh, with uh, Abel Escano in the irons. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with how the track's going to play. Uh, when it gets very cold, and we talked about this a little bit last week, Howard, those early cold races, the early season cold races, the first time the track really freezes, it becomes an inside speed track, especially early on in the day. So because of that, this is a little later, still enough, though, that it's going to hold speed. You're going five and a half furlongs. There's not a ton of pace in here. There's enough, though, that it could keep things honest. So this was a little bit of a spread race to me. I thought this was actually the toughest race of the sequence. But Just Right Mike is really committed to the front. This is a horse that I think has to go to the lead. Abel Lascano gets the call today. Popular in the claim box. Claimed three out of the last five starts and just dropped down to this level just a couple of starts back. But I thought this was a horse that was going to be the fastest of all to the front. And if that's the case, maybe could clear and take him the whole way around. But I actually used five in this race in the pick four sequence because I want to get out of this race. And I think you do have to go a little bit deeper to make sure. I agree. And I'm not sure I trust this horse. The trainer's 0 for 19. But again, he's probably going to have the lead if he breaks. And that's always yeah. very dangerous. So you can see I like the horse a bit too. I have on him in third. My top choice is your choice for second. Yeah. Valley Vista. I just like the fact this horse is improving. Um, I like the connections. Joel Campbell uh, does a nice job, very underrated, 23% at the meet. I just like the improvement. I think uh, this Gelding is going to get a, a stalking trip. Um, also has not been in this level very long, which is an angle I like, Jim. He's only uh, been in a 62-5 condition for two races. And so you could say it has a lot more class than some of the others. This is my top choice. Yeah, the only thing that scared me a little bit was the layoff, not having raced since October the 9th. Yeah. So. You have that race October the 9th, then only one workout since that time. Yeah. You get Orlando Mojica aboard, though, and here's the thing, too, that you have to take into account, Howard. Jareth Lawberry's left. He's gone south for the winter. He's down at the fairgrounds. Orlando Mojica's your leading rider. He's going to get the choice now of a lot of these top horses in these races. Rode this horse in that last out again. The layoff scared me a little bit. Not a ton. I mean, I did pick the horse second in this race, but I did think Valley Vista would be able to rate close. Kind of the key to the race could be Fama De Niro from the inside, only yeah. for the fact that that's the one that could push things along on the lead and maybe set things up for someone to come from out of it. I don't think this is a horse that can win, but I think it is a horse that could compromise the pace a little bit. I agree, and that may or may not help Christmas present, who I guess both of us are a little bit against on the win, and I have a source uh, you know, second, but yeah. I have no desire to take this horse at a short price. But again, as we've talked about, Jim, this is probably a horse you have to use for ET yeah. in the pick four. It's just a horse you don't want to get uh, beat with. Yeah. Go ahead. No, it's just good. the one thing that, that you really have to rely on, and I hate to say, but you got to watch, make sure ET's riding. ET's kind of hit and miss on if he's showing up lately over the course oh, of the last wow, few okay. weeks. So watch and make sure he's riding. When he's riding, he's one of the best in the saddle. But he okay. deals with times. I mean, he dealt with an illness last week, missed a day of racing. Then he comes back the next day and he rides really well. So just make sure he's aboard because this horse does seem to run his best races with ET in the saddle. Just make sure he's riding on Friday. Great point. Jim, let's go to uh, the next race, race seven. Condition claimer, 25,000 non-winners at two. Uh, they're going, I believe, uh, was it six for long? Yeah, six yep. for longs. Uh, this is a nice feel also. We're quite a bit different here, actually. Yeah. You're you're going with the one now. I have pretty strong opinions here, and I I will admit, Jim, I could be completely wrong in this race. <laughs> so could I. I. Mean, completely wrong. I thought this race was difficult. This is a strange race, Jim, and you know why. Two horses from California yeah. have decided to leave the nice warm weather in California and come here in the Midwest, where it's gotten really cold, really quick, which I think might adversely affect them. I'm not a horse whisperer, but I have some very 
big concerns about that. And we're talking about the one and the eight who you have first and second, who absolutely are the class of the field and could finish one, two. And that's what you're going with here. Yeah. I want to start with the eight horse first, even though the one's my top pick, but looking at the eight horse, it's Greek to me. This owner, John Maroney had a couple more horses that were in California and made the very similar move with a horse last week that went over to Steve Manley's barn, raced at Hawthorne off of work at FanDuel and raced very well. Ended up finishing second in that spot. So it's all Greek to me, or it's Greek to me as a horse that kind of figures just off those races based on the class-wise. I mean, you're coming out of allowance races at Low Sal. You're coming over to a 25 non-two here at Hawthorne. Yeah, the transition from uh, the West Coast here uh, out to the Midwest could be tough, but I use that one. And then the one Midnight's Girl, I just kind of thought had a class edge. To me, a 16 non-two at Santa Anita is probably going to be a little bit tougher than a 25 non-two at Hawthorne. And this was a horse that was sent off as a seven to five choice in that spot. So Midnight's Girl, I think from the inside, rates close. You have two Scott Becker runners. We'll see what the pace scenario is. But I thought Midnight's Girl was going to show speed possibly from the inside. Maybe not on the lead, but I don't think we'll be too far out of it either. I I agree with everything you said. And the information that you gave, Jim, (coughs) excuse me, about the eight is crucial that, you know, they've done this before uh, and and recently and and raced well. it's all Greek to me. Was a real nice route horse, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Not uh, was was better than this horse we're seeing tomorrow. Yes. No disrespect to the uh, connections. I have no idea what to make of this. <laughs> I mean, started on the turf, then was running at low sal a thousand yards. I mean, obviously he can win. I don't. He. I have him in my. Um, actually, I don't have him in my caveman pick five, but I'd probably use him. And you're absolutely right about the one you read my mind, Jim. Uh, certainly, a, I would. I would agree that a. Condition 16, 14, not, you know, non wears a two is definitely more difficult than a 25 here. But I mean, this is a closer that is one for nine. That's going to be what, like eight to five. Like, I don't trust this horse right. at all. I'm going to, I'm going to go with some more local horses or some fresh faces. I have big respect for Scott Becker uh, mm-hmm. and, and what he does. Why would Posse won very well. I understand it was just, you know, at FanDuel and it was an Illinois bred race. Fine. Came back and improved his number, uh, excuse me, her number 10 points um, is off now. Uh, so maybe there are some issues, but it's been working well. Only two lifetime starts. We don't really know what this horse is, Jim. So I'm a little bit interested in, in the number six Wildwood Posse. And then number seven, Haley's Rainbow is definitely slower, but Similar to the four in the previous leg, I think we'll have the lead. Maybe she's improving. She went from a 20 to a 53. I mean, how much does she really need to improve to win this race? Maybe four or five more points. And she might have the lead for Becker, the other Becker and Amy. I like the Becker horses here, Jim, over the California horses, especially because the price will be better. Yeah, price will be better. The one thing with Scott Becker, Victor Santiago is basically his first call rider. So he's the one that gets the longer price in the morning line of five to one on Wildwood Posse. Also, these Illinois bred horses, when they're running in open claiming races, they go in there because they have a chance for bonus money in the purses. So if he thinks this horse is good enough, there's some Illinois optional claiming options that Scott Becker is passing by for this open 25 non-two. So he's doing it because he thinks he's going to get that extra purse money. So, yeah, good reason to have Wildwood Posse in there. Also, FanDuel is not the fastest of racetracks. So no. you're looking at a bullet of 48 and 4. That's actually a pretty snappy work over that racetrack. The same with 101 and change for 5.8. A typical horse is about 104, 105 for just an average 5.8 of a mile drill at FanDuel. 101 and change is pretty quick there. 
yeah, uh, no question about it. I think it's a it's a four horse race. I don't know if I'm going to use the eight or not. I like the one more than the eight, but um, it's an interesting race. Yes. Now this next race, uh, race eight, mile and a seventy yards. So we're going two turns, claiming thirteen thousand five hundred. Jim, I felt like this race was the spread race of the sequence. I mean, I'll, I'll let you talk first. To me, there's one particular horse I like. And if that horse doesn't win, it could literally be anyone. And you'll see how I feel about it more when we talk about our pick five. As you see on the bottom of the screen, ladies and gentlemen, yep. Jim Jim's going with the six in this race, who's promising shoes for end zone athletics. Kyle Broberg, what he I mean, does a great job. Julio Felix. This horse has earned over three hundred thousand in his career. His better days are behind him, but could certainly still win at this level. The way Carl Broberg plays the claiming game has been to perfection throughout the course of this meet, Howard. And what I'm saying, he'll claim a horse, he'll step the horse up, he'll run well, then he'll drop it back to a level above the level of where he claimed, and somebody's bound to take the horse away. And you look at this horse, perfect example. Got the horse out of a conditioned five, stepped up to an A other than, and the horse raced really well. It was being only a half length when all was said and done. Now you drop back in for 13-5. There's a good possibility that this horse will get claimed for the 13-5, and he's going to get a portion of the pot. So that's the reason I use Promising Shoes on top. The horse has been very good at the distance. 11 starts at the distance, 9 of 11 on the board. The question really is what's going to happen with your horse, your top pick, and the Brittany Vandenberg horse, the 7, Danville, because a lot of speeds, probably showing speed on the stretch for Becker, Danville should be forwardly placed, transitioning back over to the main track, but off that last out where they just won on the front end, that's going to be kind of my question. If anybody could steal the race, so it is a lot of speed, that's going to be the one concern for me, and then just how the horse is going to handle two turns. Yeah, well, sorry, I want to do that. Jim, I don't have a lot of confidence in this horse, and you didn't even mention the one with ET on the rails probably sending, but right. I don't think to fever, maybe for the first uh quarter at, at the most but then i think you know a lot of speed can go by and just a yep. better horse interesting enough with a lot of speed if you go back to may 13th here in the spring at hawthorne his a, a very good fig of 77 buyer going two turns and that was in an optional 35 so this horse is tons the class um if he gets loose i think it's over i really do can he get loose i don't know we, we you mentioned the seven already uh danville who I don't think he has the speed to go with, but I think uh, is improving. I like Brittany Vanberg off the claim here. That's my second choice. It's your second choice. You also have the eight in here. Uh, Pistol Box, who's another closer, who's in fine form. Uh, a, a gutsy seven-year-old by uh, Icebox. And then I have a, the nine, Diamond Dave, who I think has a real shot in this race at 10 to one by uh, uh, sources by Drosselmeyer. And he's... Uh, has a lot of back class to me more class than the others i don't mind turf to dirt there's just a lot of ways to go here jim yeah. it just can depend on who gets the trip in the pace scenario yeah and the, th the thing about pistol box he's kind of a clunker he really needs things to set up perfectly in front of him for him to win you look at the two victories on the meet and they really kind of did they were both against condition five thousand dollar claimers now you're stepping up for 13.5 that might be a bit much for pistol box i just Everything would have to go perfectly for him. And really for that to happen, he's probably going to need a four-horse pace battle ahead of him. And he's not going to get that there. The same thing kind of holds true for the three in here. Just look back at the three's last race. This is a horse that really posted a huge number in there. Here's the one concern for me. That spot, 46-2 and two to the half. 
and 112 to three quarters. Everything had to set up for this horse to come charging at him late. I just don't think there's going to be the same pace. That was the only reason I stayed away from the three in this spot was because of the lack of pace in here. It's the reason I threw Danville on my ticket. A lot of speed. My only concern was if the horse could get the two turns. But like you said, if you get loose around two turns and you can catch a breather, say after that opening quarter all the way until you're basically three quarters of a mile into the race, it kind of changes the complexion of the race. So we'll see what we get out of a lot of speed. But the eight, this is a really interesting race. Uh, Dean G on the bottom of the screen, right in your oh, mind, we were just go. talking about the three. But again, you have to look, everyone, very carefully. These red time form numbers, as Jim mentioned, means that it was a very fast pace and it collapsed. And the other thing I'll just say about the three, who I'm going to use defensively, yep. uh, in these condition races, Jim, I do not like horses that won last time. The reason why they're in condition races because they can't string back-to-back -back wins right. together in general. So I, I'm bet again, I much prefer drop-downs um, out of like allowance or other races that are not condition races, even though the three is dropping down, but it was a condition race. Uh, again, we it's fun to talk about these factors, Jim, because they really mean a lot in these races. Let's go to the last race. Here's another condition race. Jim, it's fair to say, look, this is a 4,000 claimer, not winners of two over the year, okay? These are not the most talented horses. Let's just call it like we see it. But you know what, Jim? These horses deserve to run. They, they they pay the bills for the trainers and the owners. I guarantee you there's owners in this race that are cheering their horses on big time as if it's the Kentucky Derby because it's their horse and you want to see your horse in the winner's circle. You see our picks on the bottom of the screen. We are thinking exactly the same. And I have a very strong opinion in this race, Jim. I'll let you go first. We both like the number four. Richie's got swagger. Um, who was bred by Larry Ravelli, hence the Richie, uh, nine to two in the morning line for Constantine Roman dropping down big time from a starter allowance 62.5. Yeah, and that was the thing. The drop is really the key for Richie's got swagger. That starter allowance was a tough race. Twirling yes. Roses is a horse that's a specialist at Hawthorne. Kierkegaard's a horse that had defeated allowance company in the past. Big Sport's a horse that had dominated starter races time and again and again. And Richie's Got Swagger was a massive price, and I thought he held his own in there. He chased the pace, never really gave way. I mean, the comments has faded. He was only beaten five and three quarters after being about four lengths behind the whole way. This is such an easier spot for him, and I think he gets the right setup because you look up and down this race, WW Candu should be forwardly placed. Chopper probably shows some speed. Little Mighty Man from the outside should show some speed. Easter Music is a horse that tends to race a little bit better, a little bit closer to the pace. And boom, 5,000 on the inside can show speed. I think there's enough pace in here for someone to come running at a little bit in the lane. I thought it was a little bit of a spread race. I thought you could get some coverage in this spot. But uh, I think Richie's got swagger off that last start. It doesn't look great on paper. That field was so much tougher than what the horse is going to see in here. Any of those three that he faced would be one to two in this spot. Easily. Uh, now, I got, I, Jim, I got to, I'm going to be slightly critical, but that's yeah. okay. I'm sure you can take it. The 92 morning line, is that because you figure the public will see 5th by 5, 7th by 10th, 5th by ninth, and some of these other horses like sure. the 7 that you have at lower odds, you see a bunch of 1s and, and, yeah. and just looks more sexy. But really, when you look deeper, to me, is not even close uh, to, to what the, you know, the 4 could will be uh, when he goes off. Sure. I mean, and, and the, the couple of things, yeah. And if, if I miss, I miss lines all the time. So you can ask about that at, at any time because 
you do have to kind of look back. Uh, the reason I laid the seven and three to one was a victory, and you're switching from a bug rider to the meets leading rider. So right. that was the reason that I put the seven as the favorite. Um, Eastern Music, the five, I laid maybe a little bit lower than the horse should have been in there. But you look at the record over the racetrack, 16 starts over the racetrack, six victories at Hawthorne. The horse loves the track, and that's a horse that's dropping from 13-5 down into the condition four. So I thought that horse was going to take some action. And then Little Mighty Man, the 12 horse on the outside, it was basically based off, and yes, a lot of the races were at FanDuel, but just the record on the year for this horse. This is a horse, 10 starts on the year, 8 of 10 on the board, high percentage trainer. So that was the reason I laid that horse a little bit shorter. And Richie's Got Swagger just has the one win this year. It was yeah. a good win. It was back in May, though, and this horse has some spotty races. You and I may talk him down a little bit price-wise here, but that was kind of the thought process when everything's going through my head, kind of trying to not only get thing, everything together, but get it to balance as well. Yeah, I mean, I hope you don't mind me asking the question. No, I, not I just, at all. I just, weirdly enough, uh, Chopper, who I think you have, actually, I think Chopper should, will go off, well, should go off at 70 to 1, but won't, um, is actually the key to the race. Because yes. if this horse doesn't break or for some reason doesn't put pressure on the 7, I don't know if the four is going to get there, even with all its class. So in a weird way, this complete bomb, I think, is the is the is a big key to the race. But I will say, Jim, and at least in my opinion, I think the four Richie's got swagger won't be that far off just because of who he's been facing. I think he'll only be maybe two lengths off. Let's go to our pick five, Jim. Or excuse me, our pick four. I'm so used to saying pick five. Yeah. Uh, let's go to our pick four real quick. Fifty dollar ticket. You've got three, four, five, six, seven with one eight with six seven. With four, five, seven, eleven, twelve, you're spreading on the ends and going thin in the middle. And, and I hate having to spread this much for a sequence, but those races are so hard on on both ends of things. I took my stance with the two California horses that we talked about, kind of sandwiching that field there in the second leg. Promising Shoes is a horse that I do like, just based on how Broberg kind of handles the uh, claiming game. So. I thought if you could try to beat a favorite, maybe get a third or fourth choice in that first leg, try to beat a favorite in the last leg, maybe get a third or fourth choice there. You talked about the sequence paying 150 bucks. I think that's where the potential happens is if you could beat some favorites on the front or back end. But honestly, if you can beat them anywhere along the sequence, it's not set up, aside from maybe the Cody Rosine California invader in the second leg of it, to have a really heavy favorite. So there is potential there for a pretty nice return. Cody Rosine, I'm familiar because he ran uh, horses at Canterbury. He's, he's yep. a solid trainer. Um, my ticket's a little unusual. Now, I don't usually go <laughs> over the 50. You, you have to give me a, a few dollars of leeway. Hopefully, my wonderful co-hosts, Paul Howard and Pete Visco, are not going to see this because they're going to give me a, a, a lot of crap for this. I went to 54. And, Jim, I did something very unusual for me. What did I do? Here it comes on the bottom of the screen. That's right. The all the all, the all button. <laughs> I'm going three, four, five, six with one, six, seven. I don't have the eight California horse in there based on budget constraints, Jim. If the two doesn't wire the field, I, I don't know. I, it could be anyone. I, I don't have a strong opinion at all of the of the eighth race. I think something really weird could happen in that race. Um, and, and so I'm gonna hit the all button. And I love Richie's got swagger on the end. I mean, love that horse on the end. And the fact that you've got him nine to two, it makes me even like him even more. I think he'll probably go off. I'm going to guess five to two. That's my guess, yeah. but I'll take that. It's going to play bigger in the horizontals. It's a $50, $54 ticket. I don't, I hate the all button. I don't usually hit it, Jim, but listen, I don't have an opinion in that race. And like I said, I could single the two or go all. And I went all. 
Here's the thing, though, for ticket construction. If you feel you have a $7 winner or higher that you think you can single on, it gives you the ability to go all somewhere else. You have to change it if you think that single is going to be four to five because you're not going to get the value there. But that's the beauty, too, of how you played this ticket, Howard. Because that's the final leg of the sequence, everybody's just going to look at the nine to two in the morning line. They're not going to be able to see how the horse opens up or how the horse is for the will pays or anything like that ahead of time. You have to take that into regard when, when you're constructing your tickets there. So I kind of like the play. It's, it's a wide open race, the race before in your mind. Hey, hit the all button. You have a stance there and you're not spending that much money. It's 54 bucks. You get any price there in, in that second to last leg and you're going to feel really good going into the finale. Well, and the other thing was singling on the end. I'm not a big hedge guy, but if I am alive to a you know four-digit score or whatever, I, then I can hedge a little bit if, right. if I choose to do so. Maybe put the four underneath in second or third and exact as her tries are. However, I want to construct my ticket. Jim, before we go, we have to talk about what's going on yep. a week and a half from now or next weekend, even less than a week and a half. I, actually, I, I create a little banner for it there. Uh, the Hawthorne Contest. I'll let you talk about it. It's a tremendous opportunity. Three days of betting, but it's three individual contests for a chance to go to the NHC gym. Yeah, and that's the big thing about it. It's three individual contests. There's not an entry fee. You're playing a bankroll, and you can play whatever racetrack that you please. Anything from early on in the day all the way to the end of the Southern California racetrack is usually the way that we will handle all of our contests. There's 10 NHC seats on the line, Howard. So you have your chance Friday. If you have a bad day Friday, you can come back on Saturday. If you have a bad day on Saturday, you can come back on Sunday. But the other thing about it, too, play your bankroll. You get to keep what you make. So that's the nice thing also. If you're going to come out to the track and you're going to play, say, 300 bucks on a Friday, go ahead and jump in the contest. If you have a good day and you hit, hey, there's no entry fee. You can go ahead and keep that money anyway, and you might get that NHC seat. So it's a really nice setup. We're having this at six of our off-track betting locations. And we have them at the northern locations and the southern locations. So if you're coming from out of town, you fly into O'Hare, you can go to those locations up north. If you're flying into Midway, there's locations close to there. All the details on our website at HawthorneRaceCourse.com, but it is. It's a fun contest. Really good players that play in these contests, too. All it takes, though, is a really nice day. Maybe you go out there, you hit a pick four, Howard, and that's enough to win you a contest. I'm definitely going to be there. I think I'll be the Oakbrook Terrace one. Um, yep. So everyone, if you want to uh, meet me and see this ugly mug in person, <laughs> I love, I love, I'd love to meet you. Um, I think that's my plan right now. Ron is going to hook me up, Jim. You know, Ron, of yep. course, does a, a great job there with, uh, with customer service uh, at Hawthorne. I think I'm playing Friday actually for for family uh, obligation reasons, but I'm not, I'm not sure which day, Friday or Saturday right now. I'm going to try to, I'm already qualified for the NHC through something that happened earlier this year for me, but I want to double qualify, Jim. And it's not only about that. It's a great contest. I want to have fun. I'm assuming there'll be a Mustari sighting. I know oh, you yeah. know what I'm talking multiple about. Multiple Mustaris. Multiple, <laughs> multiple Mustaris. And again, we've talked about this as we close the show. You don't have to live in Chicago. I know a lot right. of people are going to be in from out of town for Thanksgiving. Check it out. Go to the website. You can have a lot of fun. Bring some family along. Make it make a day of it. Make four or five hours of it. You don't have to spend the whole day at all. You know, hit, hit that big pick four, pick five, and then see how you do on the leaderboard. Jim, any final thoughts about um, anything else that's coming up at Hawthorne uh, stake-wise or anything else you want to finish? Yeah, we do have a stake on Saturday, but I want to go back to the contest real quickly. Um, yeah. Our OTB locations, Howard, aren't like a lot of others. They're not real dingy places. They're not like a closet in the back room or anything. 
these are really nice locations. It's a great atmosphere. It's great food. Some of these locations have a sports book attached to it if you want to wager on sports or bring a friend along that wants to wager on sports. So it is, it's a really nice setup. You can check it out with our OTB locations on our website. There's pictures of all the locations as well. And if you have any questions, they can always uh, get a hold of me via Twitter at Hawthorne Jim or email me as well. Jim, as usual, great job. Appreciate you being patient there at the beginning of uh, that was fun. to talk about flight line. It's a great conversation. I uh, hope if you, if you're just joining us now, check out uh, the first hour of the show. We, talk off flight line jim i look forward to speaking to you next week you and i are gonna have to talk because of thanksgiving obviously we're not going to be filming on thursdays but we will have a hawthorne segment and uh maybe we can preview some big races uh for the contest because i know there are some you got there's some big races over thanksgiving weekend maybe not only about a hawthorne pick for maybe uh talk for a minute or two about some of the stake races next weekend that some people might be betting on in the contest. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, it's definitely worth jumping into. I mean, Fairgrounds is open. You're going to have a really good race in at Gulfstream Park. You got a lot of stuff that's going on across the country, so definitely worth uh, checking out. But again, with the contest, play the tracks that you love, play the tracks that you focus on normally, and you can do so in this contest. Great. Well, Jim, thanks for joining us again for our um, Hawthorne segment. We hope everyone will join us next week. I'm not sure if we're going to go Tuesday or Wednesday night. Stay tuned. Uh, go ahead. That's why you need to subscribe to the channel. Uh, hit that notification bell. Follow me on Twitter so you know whether we will be live Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, time to be determined. For my good friend Jim Miller, this has been Howard Kravitz and episode 206 of the HHH Racing Podcast. If you're in the Midwest, bundle up. Stay warm and bet that pick four tomorrow, Friday, at Hawthorne Racecourse. Take care, everyone. Have a great night. Bye-bye.